The Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hello, everybody. It's Tim Linville again, your host. And today with me, I have uh, two of our members from Franz Ward Law Firm. I have Allison Reich and Mark Sanchez. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, so you guys are with Franz Ward. Have you um, spent your whole careers there? No, I've been at Franz Ward for about five years. I was at another firm previously. Yeah. What about you, Mark? Uh, I've been there since the beginning. In 2000, uh, Franz Ward started. So I've been there almost 20 years there working in the construction group. And, um, you know, we have a, a bunch of partners, a bunch of associates that work there. They're dedicated to construction. As you know, that's all they do 100% of the time. They're involved in a lot of these trade groups, excellent groups like your group. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we do. The, the, I mean, the latest news with Franz Ward is we just acquired another firm, Kadish Schinkel and Weibel. They're great attorneys, um, and they're a great addition to, you know, to what we're doing and where we're headed. Great. And so uh, 2000 was when the firm was established? Right. Were you at Thompson High and Fryer? I, I was, but I was there as a summer associate in, um, I think it was Washington, D.C., and then I was a summer associate in Cleveland. But then there was a gap where I went to work at a different firm mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and then I came over to France Ward when they established it in 2000. I think it was, what, February they yeah. established it, and yeah. I came over in July. Uh, and it's just been uh, going gangbusters ever since. Because I summered at Thompson Hine in 2002 and then started in, no, yeah, 2002 and started in 2003. Okay. As a full-time associate, so I missed you guys by a couple of years. Fresh after the, the exodus, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, Allison, uh, tell us about yourself. What's your background? Are you from Cleveland? Sure. I grew up on the west side in North Olmstead. My husband and daughter and I now live in Ohio City. We're actually right behind Cleveland Bagel, nice. over by the Harp. I went to the Ohio State University for undergrad. I've gotten a, a Bachelor of Science in Architecture there. It's not trademarked, is it? No, no, it's not. And then I decided to go to law school. So I went to Cleveland Marshall here at Cleveland State, got my law degree. I wish I could say I planned to do construction law, but mm-hmm. I didn't. It just really worked out for me with the architecture background. I really enjoy any sort of design defect case. I can read a set of plans. So it's oh, really good. interesting to me to be able to see the development and learn what's going on in Cleveland and and nationally, really, and see all these projects and just approach them from a little bit different perspective now. Sure. What about you, Mark? Um, the background, even though it's been uh, many, many years, was uh, Duke undergrad, so I'm a big Duke basketball fan. We share and that. Then, yeah, and then uh, Stanford Law School. But like I say, that's, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were just talking before the recording started. Uh, about the fact that we get to honor your father this fall. We're at our uh, 97th annual Clambake CEA. Um, your father, Al Sanchez, who used to work at Turner, is coming into our Hall of Fame. So you have a background, a family background in construction. Oh, for sure. And he, he is very excited about that. That's going to be a great event. So I appreciate you uh, recognizing my father. Um, yeah, he, during the summers, uh, he got me into the local labor union 310. So I would, you know, do a lot of trash hauling, uh, assist the trades. Um, in the sun, we worked on the Galleria. We worked on a lot of downtown projects, um, in the eighties. 
So that's that, you know, he got me involved in the construction industry early on. I wasn't even in out of college yet, you know, doing all that yeah. uh, laboring work. That's good experience. Absolutely. To see a different part of the world than a, uh, the private prep school, you know, type world like my, my kids were growing up in. My my son is a sophomore in college and at Kenyon College down in Gambier, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And this summer, I I linked him up with one of our contractors, and he worked as a three ten labor on a one. Go of get his jobs. hands dirty a little. Yeah, go yeah, get his hands great. dirty. Meet a different type of people than he's ever been around in his eighteen years, and it's a good experience. Yeah, I'm pretty good with the sweeping compound. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody knows that, so it's a right. skill that you can take with you. <laughs> So uh, after law school, you you came back to Cleveland? Yeah, I came back to Cleveland, um, worked for a different law firm for four years. And then, like I say, when Franz Ward started in 2000, I came over um, and we've been doing it. We've been doing it ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So what is your practice focus on, both of you? Go ahead. Really anything and everything. We represent a lot of contractors, um, but we we represent some sureties, some owners here and there, uh, but our focus is contractors and subcontractors, mm-hmm. design defect, construction defect, any sort of insurance coverage issues. We will do any sort of liens or anything foreclosing on liens, collection matters. We have someone in our office who is really good at um, attaching properties and collections and getting paid, and she's awesome at, at finding where all the assets are and, and recovering for our clients. But for me, I, I really do enjoy it, uh, the design defect claims to the extent we have them. But we do, we all do everything. And one thing that our practice is really strong in that I think makes us all better attorneys is that we do, we do do all of it. But we do negotiating contracts. We do uh, deals for our clients in terms of putting together financing contracts, getting everything in place. So if something goes wrong. Hopefully, we are the ones who wrote it. We know where to look for it, and hopefully, we've built in all the protections for our clients. Sure. Where our, where people come to us later and they already have a problem, and we say, "Look at our con- let's look at the contract. Let's see what's going on." If we find we didn't draft it, sometimes we don't have some of the protections that we're hoping are in there or that we're right. used to seeing, and then it, it can make our jobs a little bit more difficult <laughs> because you know we have to figure out some different solutions or kind of work with what we have at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, Doing the front end obviously makes litigation easier. The litigating makes our front end documents much more um, tight. tight. Yeah, yeah. We know we've seen how things can be interpreted or go wrong or not be followed on a project, and then we can try to draft around that or correct that going forward. So right. we, we all do. We all do that. We don't have a strict construction transactional practice and construction litigation, and I think it makes us all stronger. Sure, and construction is is one of the many different practice groups within Franz Ward, right? Yes, it is. It's one of yeah. um, it's a full service business law firm, right? Labor yeah. and employment. We have our transactional practice, real estate, corporate. We do litigation, mm-hmm. kind of every all business practices. Right, right. Um, well, what brings us here today on the podcast is a case that you recently won before the Ohio Supreme Court. And that's uh, captioned New Rigel Local School District Board of Education versus the Bureau Group Architecture and Engineering. And you represented the Ohio Farm Farmers Insurance. Is that correct? 
Right, right. We do a good little bit of work for Ohio Farmers Insurance Company, and we have over the years. Uh, we tend to do their work. We had a case in Chicago. Uh, we had a case down in Lima, which was a, an ethanol plant. Uh, very interesting cases. They give us a lot of very sophisticated work to do. Um, and this is, this is more of a standard. As we mm-hmm. were talking before, uh, there are a lot of these school cases, okay, in the state of Ohio. Uh, this one, New Regal, was a K-12 through building. And I think when I tell you when it was done, you'll see why this statute of repose issue is so important uh, and why it's critical, not only in this case, but in the state of Ohio to mm-hmm. really put an end to, to litigation. So the problem was uh, New Regal was completed, substantial completion in December of 2002. Okay. And you see where we're, we're 17 years later now, we're not yeah. anywhere near being done with this, <laughs> but there was some condensation, moisture intrusion, other defects, the stuff you hear all the time in these types of cases and suit wasn't filed until April of 2015. So 13 years later, okay. right? So it's outside of that 10 year um, statute of repose. Mm-hmm. And we were representing Ohio farmers, the surety for Studer Obringer, and they were the general trades contractor. And it was brought out in Seneca County Court of Common Pleas. So they basically sued, the school district sued everybody that they could, right? The architect, the contractor, and who else? Right. Well, there, we were the general trades contractor. Uh, there was another contractor that got sued. I assume the Mason got sued. Um, the In the designer got sued. So it was everybody, I think, that held a contract with the owner ended mm-hmm. up in there. Got it. So it was everybody. And then, you know, during the very early on, right, we filed a Rule 12C motion, which is even in advance of a uh, motion for summary judgment. You're not looking at facts. You're just looking at what do the pleadings say. Mm-hmm. You take the um, everything the plaintiff says is true. And if the plaintiff uh, can prove no set of facts that will entitle them to relief, uh, then they grant the Rule 12C motion. And that was granted in October of 2016. So you oh, can they see, granted it. Yeah, okay. so you can see we're way, you know, this is years and years ago. Mm-hmm. So trial court was a win. So we didn't even get into any type of uh, discovery at that point. So we right. really didn't know. No exchanging documents, no depositions. Nothing, nothing yet. And I do have to get a shout out to Mike Franz Jr., who's not here, because he was handling this. He okay. handled it all the way up to the Ohio Supreme Court. When Allison got involved, she did the memorandum in support of jurisdiction and explained to the Ohio Supreme Court why it's so critical. This sure. issue is not just a discrete issue for this case, but um, it really has a significant impact on, on all of us, the designers, contractors, uh, sureties, insurers, and owners in the state of, in the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a win at the trial court level. Then we go up to the third appellate district. And the third appellate district in November of 2017 issues their opinion. And they say, you know what? We do think the statute, the way it's written, covers. It's broad enough to cover not only tort negligence claims, but also breach contract claims, you know, where you have that privity of contract. But we are constrained by a prior uh, Supreme Court case called Cosisco. And uh, so they said we have to follow Cosisco, Mm -hmm. even though that decision, which found a prior version, of the statute of repose, a prior version applied only to tort claims, not to contract claims. Uh, They felt that they had to follow that. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things that came up uh, in the Ohio Supreme Court was that it had been changed over the years. So Cosisco was a 1986 case 
So, I mean, that's a pretty old case. Yeah. And since that time, the statute had really changed dramatically. It's 21 years before the case arose. Yeah. I mean, but, but before you go farther, yeah. and I'm, I'm an attorney, so I know a little bit more than the average listener. A lot of people are familiar with the concept of a statute of limitations. What's the difference between a statute of limitations and a statute of repose? This case is about a statute of repose, right? Yes, very good question. All right. <laughs> and thank you for asking. <laughs> so... Statute of limitations, that's what everybody's real familiar with, right, to your point. And that bars a lawsuit if it's not brought within a specific period of time after the cause of action accrues or the injury occurs. And a lot of times it's based on a discovery rule will come into play, mm -hmm. um, and the clock won't start ticking then until you discover it. Until or, you know or should have known exactly about yeah. the injury. Right. right. And in Ohio, for by way of example, the breach of contract uh, statute of limitations is eight years after the injury or after the breach, right? Okay. And then if you go to the other side, the statute of repose, that creates a hard stop. So there's going to be some event here, it's substantial completion that occurs, and the statute of repose bars any suit after that specified event there's a period of time. So whether the injury happened, whether mm -hmm. the brick fell off the, the building and hit the kid on the head or not, or whatever, it doesn't matter. There's that hard stop. So whether the claim accrued, injury occurred, mm -hmm. breach occurred, whatever, it's that hard stop. And I think that was the idea that the legislature had is we got to have a finite so people can plan for right. record keeping, for uh, financial planning, for pricing different products, insurance, surety, et cetera. Right. We just need to have that. And I think that I think that was the idea. So even if I build a building and don't discover it until twelve years later, that somewhere up in the in the rafter of my building something was defective and it caused me all this damage in year twelve, I'm out of luck under the statute of repose. Right. And that's exactly right. And if you go into the history of the statute of repose in Ohio, that's one of the issues. Are you going to bar commencement? Mm-hmm. Uh, of an action, or are you going to bar the accrual of an action? Super technical stuff, uh, but that was very important, I think, in having this statute of repose survive constitutional challenge, mm -hmm. um, and that will continue to happen moving forward. But if you look at the evolution of the statute, it was the legislatures trying to get a statute in place that would get done what they wanted, that the Ohio Supreme Court could live with, right. that it wasn't a violation of a right to a remedy uh, or r really running afoul of the Ohio Constitution one way or the other. Presumably 10 years is long enough to figure out that what you built 10 years ago has a problem with it. I mean, I, what, when do you set that deadline? The legislature is the right entity to do that, to say 10 years is enough, and it seems like they've done that. I, yeah, I think for sure. And if you look, uh, you know, our first statute uh, was in the 60s. And right around that time, legislatures all around the country were looking for a way to protect designers. That's particularly when it happened from uh, third party liability from others other than your contracting partner suing you for damage, uh, particularly injury, uh, you know, property damage, that type of thing. And that has, you know, if you go around the country, to your point, 10 years. Is that right or wrong? Mm -hmm. We had one, the prior one was 15 here in Ohio. This one's 10. If you go around the states, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Some are right. longer, some are shorter, some apply only to tort, some apply to tort and contract like they do here. So it's not a question where you can do a 50 state survey and then have some, you know, answer. You're not, right. it's just all, it's just whatever the legislature wants. It's legislative policymaking, right? 
Yeah, because it's a, it's really a balance. You know, yeah. how you got to be fair to the claimant and you got to be fair to everybody else. Right. And that's that's what they said they did. Sure. So you represented Studer Obringer, the general trades contractor. Right. So they were accused of, uh, you know, performing their work inappropriately and causing or contributing to cause the moisture intrusion or the damage. And, um, you know, in this case, they were still around. They had their own counsel. They, they led the charge in the, in the defense. Mm-hmm. And then we were behind them. Uh, but to Allison's point, a lot of times, and the reasons this is so important to sureties is insur- and insurance carriers is because they can be brought into these old, stale cases. You don't have a bonded principle. You don't have any documents. You don't know where anything is. You have no way to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's really the balance, right? You want to be fair. If an owner has a claim, you want to be fair. Give them time to do what they need to do to recover for negligent work, if it is negligent. Right. But on the other hand, you know, it's not really fair to tap uh, a surety and say, Hey, surety, you know, you're, uh, you have no limit on your time, your guarantee of this work. So if it, and we have seen cases that are 30 years after substantial completion. Um, yeah, let me, let me back up here a minute because one of the real important issues from my perspective here, from the contracting side, surety insurance side is that statutes of limitations don't apply to the state generally, Mm -hmm. right? So you got an eight year statute of limitations, but if the state of Ohio is a builder, uh, ODOT, OFCC, any of these agencies, doesn't matter. They can sue right. you whenever they want. And the question now is, is this 10-year hard stop statute of repose, is that going to apply to claims that the state of Ohio is bringing, okay. ODOT, OFCC, or is this something that doesn't apply to them, like the statute of limitations, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a big deal uh, moving forward. And as this case comes back down, from the Ohio Supreme Court to the third appellate district. We think that's where it's going now. Right. That's one of the issues that they're going to have to decide. Uh, you know, the OFCC, that they get involved in a lot of school financing, but they don't provide 100% in most cases of the financing. That's absolutely true. So does their involvement, the question you're, you're talking about, does their involvement make it a state of Ohio job? Yes. I mean, if they're like 30, 25 or 30% of the job. Yeah, I, my... My thought is that the OFCC is usually like 90, and then the local school district gets about closer to 10%. That, yeah. At least I think that's what happened yeah, you, here. you know better than I do. Right. But, I mean, to your point, one of the issues here is New Regal somehow got into a dispute with the state of Ohio, or I should say Bricker and Eckler, their their counsel. So they were not allowed to bring it in the name of the state of Ohio, and that was a it was litigated okay. in, the, in the trial court. Mm. So New Regal now is saying, hey, because of the financing agreement that you're talking about, I, New Regal, local school board district, I can bring the claim in the name of the state of Ohio. Therefore, I am imbued with that power where the statute of repo- or the statute of limitation, statute of repose doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, I mean, you, you know, that's not accurate. You look at uh, Miller Act claims, you know, state XREL. Uh, whoever that doesn't make the claimant the the United States of America, and it doesn't give them the immunities and defenses that the United States has. And I think it's going to be the same here Mm -hmm. in this particular application. But usually it is the state of Ohio and the state of Ohio is uh, a claimant. And there you're really going to have to look. There's one, um, it's it's the Rohrer case out of the fifth district, Mm -hmm. says statute of repose does, does apply. Yes, indeed, it does apply to the state. So it does apply to ODOT and OFCC, et cetera. But that's the only case that we know of at the appellate court level. There's some trial court 
cases that deal with it, but the Ohio Supreme Court hasn't looked at that yet. So this may be, it's not directly involved in our case because of the way that parties are set up, but right. that may be one of the issues that's decided at the third appellate district. And then we'll see if the Ohio Supreme Court takes it up another time. Okay. But that's, that's kind of the offshoot issue moving forward on that one. So that could affect all school jobs that have the OFCC involved. For sure. Yeah. And all ODOT. And I think, uh, do you have some, some uh, facts and figures about why this is so important in terms of public work? Yeah, we, and we included them in our brief to the Supreme Court. When, so the Supreme Court, Ohio Supreme Court gets close to 2,000 cases filed in it every year. It can only, it can't obviously hear all those cases. Right. And so it, there are certain cases it has to take and then others that it can take. One of the cases it has to take are cases where there is a conflict or a disagreement between some of the, the district courts. Mm -hmm. And here, Mark just mentioned the Rohrer case in the 5th District. That's what we used to get jurisdiction in the Ohio Supreme Court here because their decision, I think it was a couple months after the 3rd District decision that we had, um, directly set up this conflict where they essentially decided everything the opposite of the 3rd District. Got so it. we used that to, to get in. And in our brief to the um, to the Ohio Supreme Court, we we told them this is you know critical for our clients. Mark's mentioned it before for planning purposes, for risk assessment, for pricing bonds, for pricing insurance, sure. and everything like that. Um, so, for instance, in well, the construction is a major contributor to the U.S. economy overall. Mm -hmm. It has over 6 million employees nationally, and we build about $1 trillion every year in structures. But specifically in Ohio, construction contributed $22 billion of the state's gross domestic product in 2015, yeah. or 3.6%. It's wow. huge. Yeah. And construction wages and salaries in Ohio totaled $1.7 billion in 2017. So these, these are all huge numbers, and we know that. Specifically for state projects during 2017, ODOT invested approximately $2 billion in roads and, and bridge projects. Mm -hmm. There were over 1,000 pr projects in that year. Yeah, I know the um, um, AGC of Ohio and the mm -hmm. Ohio Subcontractors Association, they were amicus filers in support of your position, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. and to, to Allison's point here, you, you know, I think it's less than, you know, 9% or something like that that the Ohio's the Supreme Court takes of these cases. So she did a nice job of putting in front of the Ohio Supreme Court, look, this is, we're talking about huge numbers here, and this affects a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, in the state of Ohio year after year after year so that we could get in and have this review because, you know, we wanted the trial court, didn't go our way in the third district. Mm -hmm. And then you got a, what, a 9%, 8% chance of even getting in to the Ohio Supreme Court to have them rule on this. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't really say who won or who lost our case. What they did say is, yeah, we've looked at the statute, and the fair read of this statute is that, um, you know, the statute of repose, Ohio's 10-year construction statute of repose does apply to contract claims as well as tort claims. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a big win. Uh, and that's a lot, and it gives you a lot of leverage to argue uh, if you're a contractor, right? Because you're going to be in the trial court level. You're going to be dealing with, you know, the same lawyers and everything, and you have good arguments that you can use to negotiate a favorable resolution, mm -hmm. right? So now, if you get some coverage from your insurance carrier as a contractor, you can use these arguments to get the to get the settlement figures down. You're going to do well. So it's a really it's a great tool, but 
it's not over. Right. right. We still have to deal with the accrual issue. We still have to do it. It's called time does not run against the king. Mm-hmm. That's the issue that, you know, statutes of limitations generally don't don't run against the state of Ohio and its agencies. So these questions, you know, they're still out there. They still need to be answered. And that has a big impact on your people and our clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always thought that was interesting in, in law school and uh, well, mainly in law school, where you study all those esoteric things about why do we use time that does not run against the king? Why do we even talk about a king in America? And it's, right. com- it's common law, right? It comes from England and mm-hmm. their tradition, and they had kings back then. So I always thought that was interesting. Um, so that time does not run against the king, whether or not the school districts can be considered the state of Ohio and therefore not subject to the statute of repose, that's still to be determined. In this, in this particular case, right? So school districts are not. They're not the king. They don't get the benefit of avoiding, uh, you know, statutes of limitations generally like the state does and, yeah. you know, the big players ODOT and OFCC. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, like I say, though, usually the state of Ohio is a, a claimant. Even on a school job? Yeah. And a lot of these cases we see you know, OFCC, state of Ohio, and the school district itself because of the way that the contracts and financing are often set up. And Mark explained that wasn't the case here, but in a lot of the cases we see, that is how it's set up. So this case is a little bit unique factually in in that way. But the statute of repose is not specific to public entities. It's every, everything, every claim. Everyone. And for us specifically, we're, we represent Ohio farmers, their surety company. And so Every you know public job needs to have a bond, so we are interested in it from that perspective. But there are a lot of private jobs in Ohio that also require bonds, and this will uh, this will apply to their bonds. It'll you know probably impact pricing, mm-hmm. or at least impact considerations made when pricing different bonding products and insurance products on sure. on those projects too. Yeah, and this is this is a side note, and, and you know this: the bond form that a contractor has to put up on one of these OFCC school projects is prescribed by statute. Mm-hmm. Surety can't change it. Surety can't make it more like an AIA A three twelve bond, where you have two years to bring the claim, or not. Mm-hmm. Right? They can't do it. There's no way for the surety to protect itself in this situation. So that's why I think it's so important that the statute of repose applies to everybody across the board, but it's still up in the air and it probably still will be up in the air after the third district revisits the remand here from the Ohio Supreme court. I don't think it's going to get answered, but it might just because of the unique circumstances in this one. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Makes sense. And you, you, you put together a nice write up that we put on our website a few weeks ago, actually the end of July uh, but you referenced the concurring opinion of Justices Kennedy and DeWine. What what did you find learn from their concurring opinion? They they followed the arguments that were set forth in a lot of the briefs, right, in front of the Ohio Supreme Court. So they went further than the majority. The majority found that the Ohio ten year construction statute of repose does apply to contract claims, and then they kind of left it there. Right. They said uh, the majority said, look, what's left open is the accrual issue that the claimant is making that a breach contract claim accrues at substantial completion. So it will always have accrued before you're even getting into the 10-year period. So you're accruing right away. So right. the statute of repose will never apply to contract claims. That That's their argument. And what Justices Kennedy and DeWine did is they kind of pulled that apart and said, well, look, I mean, the 
that that just makes the statute just meaningless. Right. And whole parts of the statute, the the ones that Allison was talking about before, the two year grace period you get if you get you know the discovery rule kind of if you discovered in the last year eight or I'm sorry year nine yeah or ten, uh, then you get the extra two years to bring it. They said that would be totally. Why would you have that? Yeah. You don't you don't need that. So they went further than the majority and they said, look, uh, we we do find. Uh, that the statute of repose applies, and in particular it applies in this case because they rejected the accrual argument that the claimant had made there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they went further, and I think, so So the status is right now, the, the decision came out July 17th, where the Ohio Supreme Court reversed the third appellate district, um, and they, in their order on the 17th, they said, we're sending it back down to the third district. Right. There was a motion for reconsideration filed by the claimant, later that month that said, look, you got to send it to the trial court all the way back down to the trial court, not to the third appellate district. They should have the first crack at the factual issues. Uh, There was an opposition filed to that. I thought it was very strong and we'll see what the Ohio Supreme court does. Right. My guess is it's going back to the third appellate district for a decision on the accrual issue. Mm -hmm. And then for a decision on whether the state, um, you know, and its agencies can be subject to the statute of repose. But, like, like to your point, it was Justice Kennedy and Justice DeWine that completed the analysis, right? Even though the majority didn't go that far. So that's that's not official Supreme Court, you know, uh, ruling what their decision, what their opinion was that they expressed is not the official ruling of the court, but can provide some guidance if, if anybody is is uh, reading it in the appellate level. Right. And I think the way this is set up is the decision in the third district, if you read it, they said, hey, look, guys, this statute, the way it's written on its face, just black and white, it applies to contract claims. And we really think it should. But my hands are tied because I have to follow the Cisco case okay. from whenever it was in the mid 80s. Uh, so it was a very short opinion. And they said, you know, we have to follow it. So I think coming back down to the third district, I think they're going to look at what justices Kennedy and DeWine did and, and use that as a roadmap mm-hmm. because it was a good, it was a good analysis. I thought, uh, and, the, and, and, uh, I'm glad they took it, took it further and just didn't leave it up in the air. Sure. Yeah. It's helpful. Um, so in terms of your client, Stuart or Obergen, were they your client the whole way? No, another firm represented them, but we were working together and that's typically how you do it when you have a surety standing behind the contractor and you're guaranteeing their work, et cetera. Right. You really collaborate with their lawyer. You know, if they're in business, they'll right. get a lawyer. If they're not, we step into their shoes and defend them and do all those things, try and get the insurance coverage for them to protect them, even if they're out of business. So, uh, yeah, we worked with them and we're, you know, we, we both filed those Rule 12C motions early on mm-hmm. in the trial court and they were both granted. Uh, because the surety can never be exposed to liability in excess of what it, the bonded principle is. So uh, we got out, but, you know, like you said earlier, there had been no discovery. We're not to the merits yet. So this, the whole decision is assume everything that Brooker Neckler is saying is correct. Assume right. that, that what they're saying is 100% true. They still can't win because of the statute of repose, because right. it applies. So, uh, you know, if the Ohio Supreme Court would have gone a different way with it. We would go way back down to the trial court, start over, start looking at, you know, who did the moisture intrusion, who, who caused it? What did right. it happen? Was it a design issue? Was it a construction issue? Was it the combo platter? Like we usually <laughs> see a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, we're getting there little by little uh, 17 years later. Yeah, all, all <laughs> from a 2002 completion. Yeah. Right. That's, that's crazy. Um, so has this case or the ruling of the Supreme Court affected how you're representing clients today? Has it changed the advice you give in terms of contract writing or risk analysis? Well, for our contractor clients, I've told them it's a good thing. And yeah. I think for our surety clients too, it, um, it's a good thing again, because it just provides um, clarity, some certainty. They know, um, I, I've reached out to a few of our, our road contractors. They're ecstatic. You know, they love that they don't have to come out and replace a whole road, you know, 11, 12 years later when, yeah. you know, the life of the road might have only been 10 years anyway. So insurance prices are going to go through the floor is what you're saying? I can't predict what the insurance yeah. industry is going to <laughs> do. That was your client, though. <laughs> uh, but, well, we, we represent sureties and contractors. and, yeah. and I'm predicting you know, they're going to plummet. You can make all the predictions you want and, <laughs> and hang your hat on it if you want to. But no, I think a lot of, for our clients, it's, it's good because it provides certainty. I don't think I'm going to tell them to draft their contracts any less stringently or change right. anything. Um, we still have in there other protections and things that we want our clients to have in their contracts if something were to go wrong. But it's just nice to know that there's some another tool now that we have in our toolbox to protect them if something does happen down the road. Um, it's you know whenever we are defending a client, we try to come up with every possible defense and every way to defend them so that we're we're best set up. We don't want to hang our hat on one thing and then that's thrown out for some reason. So yeah. we just now we have one more you know thing to throw in there and hopefully be able to successfully defend our clients. Well, it's, it's always good when the legislature tries to do something to protect, you know, the balance of interests among business and, and other entities. And it actually works. And that's right. We, we were talking earlier about the Ohio Supreme court decision in Ohio Northern that found uh, defective construction or negligent construction can never meet the definition of occurrence in a commercial general liability right. policy. And so that took away uh, defense and sometimes indemnity for, you know, everybody that we work with, but, you know, both you and I. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fix there was to go to the market, get the your work endorsement, get that coverage back in the policy moving forward and take care of it. So this is a little different. So this is uh, this is a win for us. So there's nothing that you need to do to kind of fill the gap yeah. that's created by the law. So this is. What'd you say? Another tool? Another tool. Yeah. It's another tool in the toolbox. And like I say, you know, the typical um, playbook is you're a contractor, you get sued. It's one of these old cases, tender it to your carrier, see what you get, mm -hmm. uh, tender it to your E&O carrier. If you're design build or if you're a designer, try and get them in, uh, get some money together and then use this as leverage to, to make a good settlement. And so hopefully, you know, you're not dealing with it you know, six, seven, eight years down the road, right. trying to get a hundred percent win, you can just put it behind you and move on with business. I right. think if this had gone the other way, it might've changed how we're drafting things or advising our clients. But since it came out yeah. the way we wanted it to, we didn't have much to change and, and seeing what happens going forward. It might change how we advise clients on public versus private jobs. If it, if it, ends up that this that the statute of repose doesn't apply to the state and the state is you know can bring claims at any time that might change how we do things true you could al always try to modify that with the contract itself if it's a contract claim good luck but oh, you could try it's very hard to modify any sort of public contract but yeah yeah 
Um, I got to imagine it's pretty rare in a construction practice to find yourself in front of the Supreme Court of Ohio. Very. Oh, for sure. 99% of what we do is arbitration. Um, I'm, I'm an arbitrator. A lot of the uh, other lawyers at our firm are arbitrators for the American Arbitration Association and some of the other outfits that, you know, administer these disputes. And that's, you know, I recommend that. It's nice. You're going to get a panel of either one or three lawyers or construction professionals that really know our business. They really understand contract provisions, how things really work, delay issues, that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, so there's public job. So we're in court. Everything's open book um, and very rare. You know, for me, it's rare. Uh, I don't do a lot of public. It's mostly private work. So mm-hmm. I'm mostly in arbitration. Getting to an appeal is very rare as well. So be, even being into the third appellate district, that was very rare. And like I said, getting into the Ohio Supreme Court, um, very rare. Just yeah. To, yeah, I've never been, I've never been there before, and it was a very unique experience. I think a lot of the other <clears throat> projects or cases that Mark and I have been on that have been public school projects like this haven't, you know, really gotten to the decision. So there hasn't been anything to appeal or take up either. But this was really a unique situation. Right. It's not often that you get a case granted uh, dismissal at, at before the discovery happens, you know. Usually it's summary judgment if it gets dismissed. Right, for right. sure. So this is yeah. nice and clean and cut cut and dry except for the remaining issues on appeal. Saved money on the discovery, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Glad I'm not practicing anymore. I would yeah. hate all this electronic discovery. Yeah. More power to you. <laughs> what else haven't we covered about this case? I think that's it. I mean, moving forward, uh, we're going to keep an eye on what happens at the third appellate district, um, where they come out on the accrual issue and the time doesn't run against the king. And that should uh, give us some direction. But, you know, for the contractors, contracting community out there, just be aware of it. Uh, If you get a stale claim, definitely have your lawyer look this up and see if it can help you. So if we don't have to do another podcast on this case, it's probably a good thing for the industry. I say yes. Yes. Unless it's a podcast saying, you know, now it also doesn't run against the state and all these other things came out great. And now we're, you know, or I'm sorry, it does run against the state. Yeah. And if we could announce that the state is also barred by the statute. Yes. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Not expecting it, but you never know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Thanks, you guys, for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Love to have you on again. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers Podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.